chapter 32, verse 22. If you're physically able, I would encourage you, if you would, to stand as we read God's word together. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. This is what the word of God has to say. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabin. And he, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen, the fa I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed the newel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. A lot has happened in Jacob's life since chapter 29. When Jacob went to Haran and the house of his uncle Laban, he had really nothing of earthly value uh, to his name. What he did have was a promise that God had given him on the way. God had rearticulated the promise to him, a, a promise that God had made to his father and a, God, a promise that God had made to, his, uh, to his, his grandfather that he would give him the land, that he would make him a father of many nations, and that he would bless all the families of the earth through him. He would spend 20 years with his uncle, and those years were both challenging and prosperous for Jacob. And during those 20 years, he would build a family and he would build wealth. One of the important things to follow when you're studying the Old Testament is to follow God's fulfillment of the promise that he made, the covenant that he made with Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant, those three things, to give him a land, to make him a father of many nations, and to bless the, all the uh, families of the earth through him. That, that great blessing of blessing all the, the, the great promise of blessing all the families of the earth through him would be fulfilled in Jesus. And so as you're studying the Old Testament, one of the things you ought to follow as you go is the, 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 the succession of the promise as it goes from Abraham all the way to Jesus. So at this point in the life of Jacob, I think it may be helpful for us to take a moment to refresh where we are in God's redemptive work through a look at the descendants of Abraham. So we begin with Abraham. God promised to Abraham that he would have a son with Sarah, his wife. And now Abraham would have a son Ishmael through Hagar, but through his wife Sarah, he would indeed have a son in his old age, and through this son, he would be the father of many nations. They would name their son Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. 
And Isaac would have two sons, the twin sons, in fact, Jacob and Esau. Before the twins were born, God declared that the younger, Jacob, would, sir, would, uh, would rule over uh, uh, the, the, the older, Esau. In fact, God declared that, that it would be Jacob who would receive the promised blessing that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and carry on the redemptive plan of God. As we've talked about, Jacob had to flee his home uh, because he stole the blessing uh, from his older brother and his older brother Esau hated him, wanted to kill him. And so after fleeing his home and going to his uncle's home, Jacob would work seven years to marry the love of his life, Rachel. But when he married on his, the night, the morning after his honeymoon night, he realized that his father-in-law had tricked him into marrying her older sister, Leah. He was frustrated, he was angry, and Laban uh, relented and said, well, spend a week with her, finish the marriage ceremony, and then I will give you uh, Rachel, but you have to work an additional seven years for her, to which Jacob did. He would work, uh, he would serve uh, and, and live in Laban's house another six years. After the 14 years, he worked for his two wives, and during those 20 years, he would have 13 children, 12 sons, and one daughter. With Leah, he had his first four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Judah was to carry the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. Then with Bilhah. Now, Bilhah was Rachel's servant. When she saw that Leah had been blessed with four children, she gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob and, and thought, well, through her I can have children. And with Bilhah, uh, Jacob had two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Then Zilpah, then with Zilpah, Leah's servant, Jacob had two additional sons, Gad and Asher. And then again with Leah, Jacob had two sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and one daughter, Dinah. But God did not forget Rachel. Finally, Rachel would have Joseph. Now, at, at the point where we are in Jacob's life, she's only had one son, Joseph. Later in chapter 35, she would have her, her second son, Benjamin. In fact, she would die in childbirth, uh, giving birth to Benjamin. Now, these 12 sons will become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a big deal in the life of Israel. It's a big deal in the life of the Jews and the Hebrew nation at this moment. Through the, 12, through the 20 years that Jacob lived with Laban, Laban attempted to disadvantage Jacob at every chance he could. However, Jacob was just as crafty as his uncle, and regardless of Laban's unfair treatment, he was able to prosper and he was able to grow in wealth. And as Jacob grew in wealth, so did the tensions between his family and Laban's family, particularly Laban's sons who thought that maybe Jacob was going to take their inheritance away from them. So much so, the tension grew that Jacob feared for his very life and his well-being, and so he decided for the safety of his family and for the well-being of his family, he needed to leave. But he was so afraid of Laban that he decided he needed to leave 
in secret. And so that's exactly what he did. He waited till Laban was away, and then he gathered up all of his possessions, he gathered up all of his family, and they snuck away. But for a warning from God to Laban, that probably would have been disastrous. But because of God's warning, Laban did not harm, harm Jacob, and Jacob was able to leave. There's little doubt as you're reading these chapters between chapter 39, 29 and, and 32 that, that, that Jacob was glad to leave his family. Probably safe to say that, his, that, that Laban's daughters and Jacob's da uh, wives were happy to leave as well. They, they expressed their own frustration with their dad's deceitfulness and, and, and wickedness. They're glad to leave, but here's the problem. He's traveling home. He's going toward the home of his youth, but waiting for him there is Esau, his older brother. And when he left 20 years earlier, he left because Esau said, I am going to kill you. And you may remember that his mom said, listen, when your brother's anger cools down, I'll send word to you that you can come home. But he never heard from his mother about his, about his brother not being angry. So for all he knows, his, father, his, his, his older brother Esau is just as angry now as he was when he left. There's a lot to say about the events recorded between these chapters of 29 to 32. Well, you, could, you could talk for a long, long time about the strife of Jacob's family. There's a lot between his wives, between him and his uncle, between him and his, and his, uh, his uncle's uh, sons. You can talk about how Jacob would eventually humble himself. In fact, um, prior to the, where we read today, Jacob sends word to Esau and he calls himself your humble servant. Uh, he calls Esau your Lord, my Lord. And that's a very different way of speaking than Jacob who left home sneaking and cheating his brother out of his birthright. We, we see Jacob humbling himself before God, kind of, where he recognizes that all that he has is from the Lord and that, that uh, he's not worthy. We could talk about how God had allowed Jacob to see the, the armies of God, which must have been an amazing sight. And it, and it did impress Jacob momentarily, but not enough to give him confidence that God was going to provide for him. We could talk about how Jacob sought to make restitution and seek restoration with his brother Esau by sending droves and droves of gifts to his, to his older brother. But where we find him in the passage that we read is a man who has accumulated a lot, but is scared to death. He, faces, he is facing his fear of Esau, and he is desperately trying to uh, assuage his brother by doing all that he can think of to, to, uh, to, to, to make things right. And so he's sending uh, just lots and lots of gifts. In fact, he, he separates waves of servants and animals as gifts so that, that as Esau approaches him, that about a, every so often he's approached by a group that says, here's another gift from your brother Jacob. Here's another gift from your brother Jacob. He split his household into two, into two camps, thinking if Esau kills one, maybe one can escape. He's doing all that he can to, 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 uh, uh, to save himself. But in verses 22 to 32, which we read this morning, Jacob has an experience that will change his name and the rest of his life. He sends his wives and his children and his possessions over the stream. 
And he stays back by himself. He thought that he'd spend the night alone. But instead, he'd spend the night wrestling with God. And at the end of the night, Jacob would come to know two fundamental truths. This is the whole sermon, two points. We are weak, but he is strong. Now, friends, that sounds, that doesn't sound, that is very simple. But that's the nature of fundamental truths. They are simple. But, the, but the, because they are simple, because they are fundamental, you don't move on to other things until you understand the basic things. We are weak, but he is strong. For all of his wealth, for all of his family, for all of his success that Jacob had gotten through scheming and cheating and everything else, Jacob still needed to learn these two fundamental truths. He was weak. Oh, but God is strong. So that's what I want to, to make the case for us today, this morning, that we are weak, but he is strong. Let's begin with who we are. We are weak. And we see the weakness of Jacob in two things here. The first is that he is fearful of the wrong things. He's fearful of the wrong things. Jacob was, was so afraid of Jacob that I mean, excuse me, he was so afraid of Laban and what Laban might do to him, what Laban might take from him, that he snuck away from the household of his uncle in secret. Jacob is so afraid of Esau that he cannot sleep and he's fearful for his life. Some of you know exactly what I say when, when, when I talk about there, there, are, there are anxieties and there are fears that come into our lives that are so great and mighty that no matter what you do, you cannot close your eyes and rest in. Some of you have had those fitful nights where your heart is so concerned. Maybe you're so afraid. Maybe you're so upset about something that you just might as well get up out of the bed because you're not going to do any sleeping because you're so upset. I think that's what's happening with Jacob. He can't sleep. He's worried. He's afraid. He's scared. He's left one fear and he's heading toward another. Yet until the end of this night, Jacob had not been afraid of God. Don't miss that. Jacob was afraid of his uncle. Jacob was afraid of his brother. But until the end of this night, Jacob had not been afraid of God. And why do I say that? Well, he was unafraid to use God's name when he was lying to his father. Do you remember that? When he stole the birthright from it, of his older brother, he went into his father dressed up like his brother and even put some animal skin on his arm so that he would feel like and smell like his brother to his, to his blind father. And his father asked the question, how have, you, how have you been able to bring this meat to me so quickly? And Jacob said, oh, God did this for me. God helped me do this. He was unafraid to attach God's name to his wickedness and sin. Friends, that's a testimony. When you're willing to employ God's name to your things and your sin, that's an act that demonstrates you were unafraid of the holy righteousness of God. And though he was afraid after God spoke to him in a dream at Bethel, the Bible does not record that, uh, that Jacob ever sought the Lord again. So for 20 years, 
Jacob's been doing a lot of things, but one of the things that, that he has not done according to Scripture is there's no record of him praying, seeking the Lord at all. In fact, as he approaches his brother Esau, it's the first recorded prayer of Jacob in all of Scripture. The truth, friends, is we too fear the wrong things. We're afraid of what people think about us. We're bending our lives not according to the glory of God and the righteousness of God. Some of us are bending our lives according to the impressions and, the, and what other people might think about us. We're afraid of losing the possessions we have. You're choosing not to obey the commands of God in your life because you're holding on to a particular job or a particular thing because you're afraid of losing the things that you have in this world. We're afraid of giving, getting a bad health diagnosis. And so what might that do to us? What might that change in our life? It's not that these things should, not be of, should be of no concern. The issue is where do you turn for help when these things come? When trouble came to Jacob, he didn't turn to the Lord. When, when trouble came to Jacob, he turned to himself and to his own things and to his own ability. He attempted to fight his own battles. You know, the amazing thing is before this moment where he wrestled with God all night long, God had given him a glimpse to, of the armies of God that surrounded him. In other words, God had allowed him to see the mighty camps of angels that surrounded him. This should have given Jacob confidence that God would accomplish his will. This should have given Jacob assurance that God was going to provide for him in a mighty way. But the Bible gives absolutely no indication other than a recognition of the novelty of it that Jacob had a change of perspective. Dear friends, when, when the God of all creation is with you, then you should have no fear of the enemies of this world. In the New Testament, Paul said it this way. Writing to the Romans, he said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Indeed, dear friends, do not fear men or any other power of this world. Where your fear ought to be, fear the Lord who is mighty in power and eternal in nature. Well, Jacob was fearful of the wrong things and he was fighting the wrong battles. The most important verse to understand this passage is verse 24. So if you have a Bible, look with, it, with, look with me in, in your Bibles and look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now read it carefully because it's important. It does not say that Jacob wrestled an angel. It doesn't say that Jacob wrestled God. It says that the angel wrestled Jacob. The initiator of this fight was not Jacob. The one who picked the fight was not Jacob. God picked this fight. God initiated this um, interaction. The Bible gives few details about how the contest began, but it is likely that Jacob was caught unaware, and he probably thought, just in a practical sense, that his opponent may have been sent by Esau. This may have been an assassin sent by Esau, or either that or it was just a, a, a traveling person who was there to rob him in the darkness of night. Remember, he was away from his family and his, his servants and his household, and so maybe there's just a, a crime of opportunity here. Throughout the night, Jacob thought he was fighting to defend himself. So the, the, the understanding of this is that he wrestled who he thought was a man all night long. It's not till daybreak that he figures out who he's been fighting all night. At daybreak is when the Lord ended the fight with a touch to Jacob's hip. And that's when he realized that his fight was not against flesh and blood, but against the Lord himself. You see, God wanted to show Jacob that there were greater issues than fighting his brother. If he were to be victorious over all of his adversaries and not right with God, listen to me carefully. If he were to be victorious over all of his adversaries and not right with God, he would still have nothing. Furthermore, God wanted Jacob to give his effort to pursuing God rather than defending himself. The reality of it is, friends, we tend to spend so much effort fighting the wrong things. And this is just a pastor speaking to his church, but hear me on this. We'll get exercised, passionate about fighting a culture war. But we don't, we don't experience that same intensity in pursuing holiness. In other words, we'll defend, we'll, we'll make a big deal about somebody not saying Merry Christmas to us, but we don't give the same amount of energy of chasing after Jesus in his namesake. We'll pursue political power rather than the presence of God. Dear friends, let them have the White House, but you be at the throne of Jesus. We'll demand our rights rather than wait on the Lord to exalt his servants. Oh, dear friends, those are the wrong battles. 
Jacob was worried about Esau when he should have had his attention on the Lord. He was worried about Esau and his, and his army when he should have been paying attention to God and his army. God demonstrated his grace in wrestling Jacob until he had his attention. Now, friends, listen, sometimes wrestling with God comes in the context of a health crisis. I'm not saying that every health crisis is God trying to get your attention, but sometimes, often, those moments are moments where God gets a hold of you and he has your attention unlike any other time in your life, and you have to contend with the Lord. Sometimes God uh, wrestles with us through financial difficulty, a loss of a job, or some unexpected expense that, that has, has gripped your attention, and God uses that to, to draw you unto himself. A family crisis, a personal failure, a relationship failure. Those things can be moments where God wrestles with us so that he might have our attention. Wrestling with God is never enjoyable in the dark of the night. But when morning comes and God has our attention, it is well worth the long night of struggle. Somebody say amen. Oh, friends, we're, we're fighting the wrong battles. Fighting the wrong battles. Give your attention, your heart, your effort, your life to the Lord God alone. Fear the Lord. Wrestle with God. We are weak. But here's the good word. He is strong. Now, just two simple truths here. Number one, God determines who you are. If you're wondering who this person was, who was this angel? Who was this man that wrestled Jacob? It's likely Jesus wrestling with Jacob this night. And he'd wrestled Jacob all night long. Now, understanding this passage, it is important to understand that though Jacob lasted the night, this is not a testimony to, the, to Jacob's strength, but it is a testimony to the patience of God. So understand this, because if you don't get this one right, you'll misunderstand the purpose of this passage. At any moment in the night, God could have ended the contest. So don't read this and go, well, Jacob's a really strong guy because he wrestled God all night long and was able to prevail. That's missing the point. Do you understand that God at any moment not only could have touched his hip and placed it out of socket, God at any moment could have spoken and Jacob would have fallen over dead at any moment. God demonstrates his power by dislocating Jacob's hip in verse 25. And in verse 28, Jacob recognizes that his very life was in danger for contending directly with God. So Jacob understands in the morning time when he recognizes who he's been wrestling, that's why he's so fearful. So he's not braggadocious, look what I did all night wrestling God. No, he's aware of God's patience and grace with him that endured with him all night. God was demonstrating to Jacob his power, his might, his presence, his sovereignty, his grace. In fact, in verse 28, God speaks authority and power over who Jacob is. Now, at birth, Jacob received his name. And if you remember, he received his name Jacob because when he exited the womb, he was grabbing hold of his brother's heel. His name means heel grabber 
Or maybe we would understand it better as cheater. And Jacob, frankly, had lived up to his name all of his life, hadn't he? He'd been cheating and scheming everybody he had ever known all the way through. But now, God gives him a new name. And God names him Israel. Now, the word or the name Israel, is two, it comes from two words put together. So you have one word that means uh, to, 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 persist, to persist, to exert oneself, to strive or to wrestle. And then another word that means God. And some have interpreted this name to mean uh, that uh, he who struggles with God. That's not a bad thing to interpret this way, but I think there's a better way to understand the name of Israel. In other places in Scripture where a name is made by combining a verb with the name of God, God is not the subject of the verb. So just two examples here. Daniel is God, is, uh, is God judges, not he judges God. And Samuel is God heard, not he heard God. And I think it's better to understand Israel in that context as well. To understand that the, that the name of Israel is that God judges, that God commands, that God prevails, that God strives. Jacob now known as Israel, has not earned a new name because of his efforts. Jacob, now known as Israel, has been given a new name by the power and by the authority of God. Get that. Who names Jacob Israel? God does. Jacob didn't earn this. God gave this. He will no longer be known for his efforts, but from this point on, for the rest of his life, he will be known by the, for the power and the work of God. God strives. God commands. God endures. Friends, in flesh and in the sin, you are what you do. In sin and flesh, you are what you can accomplish. We're a lot of Jacobs, aren't we? But in the power of God, through the blood of Jesus, you are what God declares you are. Oh, friends, don't miss this. Because when the deceiver comes to accuse you, he's going to call you by the name of Jacob. He's going to call you a cheater and a liar, strike. He's going to remind you of all the things about you that are according to your flesh and according to your sin. But friends, when we stand before God, those of you who have been covered by the blood of Jesus and forgiven in his name, God won't be judging you according to what you have done. He will be judging you according to what Jesus has done on your behalf. And when God calls your name, he'll be calling you a child of God. 
a, a child of the king, redeemed and forgiven and an heir of the kingdom of God. That's what God declares you are when you're in the blood of Jesus. So when God declares Israel, he says, Jacob, you're no longer going to be known by what you did in your own effort. You'll now be forever known according to what I am going to do through you in my effort. Oh, Jacob was weak, but God is strong. He declares, he declares and determines who you are. One other thing here, that God provides victory when you surrender. One of the great misunderstandings of this passage is to interpret, in the light, to, is to interpret it in the light of Jacob's demand of a blessing. So if you interpret this passage in that context, then, you, then you'll, you'll move it toward this idea of a, a persistent prayer, that like Jacob, you ought to hold on to God until you get a blessing. And you'll see it in the context of Jacob winning or earning something from God. I think that's missing the point. Up until this point, Jacob had won all that he had, um, all that he had through his effort, through his ability, through his craftiness, through his deceitfulness. So in, the home, in his childhood home, he had tricked his older brother out of the birthright. He had lied to his father and received the blessing um, by trickery and deceit. He went to his uncle Laban's house, and though Laban had treated him unfairly and deceitfully, Jacob had, had, had given him just as much deceit as well. And, and part of his growing wealth in Laban's home was because of Jacob's craftiness. He's a wealthy man, and to this point in his life, he could say, all that I have, I've gotten by my own effort and my own ability. But as he faces Esau, Jacob would not win this battle. But God, excuse me, as Jacob faces God, he would not win this battle by his own effort and by his own ability. God allowed Jacob to wrestle all night. But when daybreak came, it was time for Jacob to know who he was fighting. And it's at that moment that God touched his hip and put it out of place. Now, could, have, could God have done that at any point in the night? The answer is yes. But God also could have struck Jacob dead at any point of the night. God allowed him to wrestle all night long. It demonstrates the tenacity of Jacob, but if that's all you see, you've missed the point. You see, it was not until Jacob lost the battle and realized who he was fighting, that's when he sought the blessing of God. It's not until he came to the knowledge that he was not worthy, that he was not able to stand in the presence of the one in whom he was fighting, that's when he started asking for blessings. Jacob lost the fight, but he found victory in the power of God. <laughs> for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, Jacob would walk with a limp. It likely physically slowed him down. The Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder when the weather changed if it hurt. And even
even though he physically was not 100% for the rest of his life, I believe his limp and his physical limitations were precious reminders to him of his weakness in God's power. Friends, only when you recognize your weakness and when you surrender to God will you come to know his power and his grace. If Jacob had spent the rest of his life walking freely, he would not have known the power of God. It's only in the lending. It's only in the losing. It's only in the surrendering. Does he behold the great power of God? He had to come to understand that he was weak. But God is strong. There's grace, friends. There is grace in Jacob's limping. Because with every step, he remembers his weakness in God's power. Being humble before God and recognizing your frailty are truths we're quick to acknowledge. So you may be quick today to go, yes, I am weak and he is strong. But the truth is, They're hard to really appreciate until we find ourselves humbled. In the fall of 2020, like so many other folks in the midst of the pandemic, I I tested positive for COVID. And at the time, uh, I was in really good health. And in fact, the week following my diagnosis, I felt amazing. Because they would give you all these steroids. So pumped up with all these steroids, I was running some of the best 5Ks I had ever run. With COVID, every morning, getting up and running. And I thought, this is never. I got this. Then week two came, and the, 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 the initial antibiotics, uh, excuse me, the initial uh, steroids were, were done, and it was like, it's like I hit a wall. I mean, I hit a wall. And long story short, spent the next week in the hospital. Too weak to even really get out of the bed and do much. There was one particular day. It was a, it was a bad day. And fatigue was overwhelming. It was exhausting. You ever been too exhausted to even just breathe? I mean, it was just, just, to, just to lay in the bed and do nothing was, was too much. So I went from running a 5K every day to laying in bed, not going to do anything. And, and one of the things that was very challenging in that moment was just talking. So getting up the energy to, to have the, and the breath to speak was exhausting and hard. So conversations were not easily had. I don't know if you know this about a preacher, but most of what I do is talk. Not only that, but For all of my life, I have loved to sing and to to have the breath to even make a note come out of my mouth was impossible. On this one particular day, it was the lowest day of it all. I remember laying in the bed thinking, I may never sing again. I may never preach again. Because when you're in a moment like that, it's hard to see anything beyond And frankly, friends, it was a humbling moment. But there was grace 
in that moment. Because when you have to face the what ifs, you also come to understand the glory, the might, and the power of God. What if I was never able to preach again? Was God God able to receive all the praise and glory and honor that he's due? The answer to that is yes. In that moment of absolute humbling, unlike any other humbling I had ever experienced before in my life, I stood before the glory of God. Even though I couldn't get up, I wept in that hospital bed that day is I came to understand in a more intimate, true way these truths. I was weak, but he is strong. Friends, wherever you are today, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you're doing, those truths are true for you as well. Whether you know it or not, you are weak. And whether you know it or not, he is strong and there's amazing grace and abundant joy when you come to know those truths thank you for listening to all for the kingdom a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry for more sermons blog posts and other related content go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.